0: Everything because if you've been taught that uh, God's love for you is dependent upon your works or your deeds then you can never be good enough. Well I was I was actually raised in the Mormon faith and so that was quite an experience for me going to a Christian church for the first time. I actually went to church with an aunt and she It was the first time I really heard about Christ and the way that Christ was meant to be shared. And it made me really nervous and and it was so outside of what I'd been raised with. And uh, so I went back with her and two or three times later, they did an altar call. And so I went up front and received Christ and they were actually doing baptisms that day. So I went and, and got baptized and I think from then on it's been pretty much a journey because there was a lot of undoing that needed to be done, a lot of new thought processes and a lot of new, uh, well they're not new ideas, but they were new ideas to me. And so it's really been a journey for about the last 20 years of understanding uh, exactly who Christ is and how he's... He's different than the Christ I was raised to believe he was, uh, and wow, what a difference! And I'm you know deeply, deeply grateful to an aunt who would take me to church um, and share with me who the real Christ is. Because of my becoming a Christian, and, and my the rest of my family thinking they were—we <laughs> all thought we were at one point—having um, been raised in the Mormon you know tradition, but uh, understanding. What Christianity is about, and this relationship with Christ, and and what Christ, who he is, and what he did, uh, and my belief, and starting to develop that has caused most of all the rest of my family to do the same. Uh, we currently don't have anybody attending uh, any longer uh, any of the Mormon churches, and so everybody's seeking out now, kind of on their own, uh, who Christ is, and. and And so I see that, you know, way back uh, as a 15 year old, you know, starting to learn and develop my own relationship with Christ, that God's used that to um, bring a whole family um, to know Him, to know Him the right way. And when you realize and truly understand what God's grace is and how His mercy um, just overflows into every part of your life, it gives you the freedom, uh, it gives you hope, it gives you joy, it doesn't make you uh, feel convicted all the time. God's grace is, is incredible.
1: You know, the grace of God really, really is incredible. In fact, it's amazing. And it's what makes all the, the difference in our lives so that we might know joy and, and peace and, and the fulfillment that God has has designed us each to know. It's found in our relationship with Christ. Well, I want to welcome each of you. Glad that you're here. Those of you that are in the venue, welcome to you as well. Would you bow your heads with me as we, we pray together? Our Father, we give you thanks for this morning once again when we can come and worship. Thank you that you are here in our midst. Would you bless your word to us and speak to our hearts and our minds? That we might be Lord people that would shine, shine as the stars, brightly for you. Thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, you can turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter chapter one, and uh, we're studying the book of Philippians in a series that Pastor Rick entitled "Shining Like the Stars." I want to ask you to pray for Pastor Rick this, this next week. Um, hope that you always will pray for him and pray for your staff. Pastor Rick will actually be speaking at Hume Lake. And he'll be speaking to uh, a conference, at a conference for pastors and their wives. And so there'll be pastors from, from all over that will be there, that he will be, be sharing the scriptures with and, and teaching this, this next week. And you know what, I, I hope you realize that we are blessed to have Pastor Rick Countryman as our senior pastor here at Big Valley Grace. I hope you know that. He is a man who, who loves the Lord, that's right. And we are, we're blessed. Well listen, with your Bibles open, uh, Philippians chapter one, we'll continue in chapter one, verses 27 through 30. And uh, you can look along and read with me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. Contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also To suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. I want to ask you a question this morning and it's uh, it's an important question. What are you living for? What are you living for? About two years ago, a little over two years ago, I found myself in a hospital bed. And uh, in the middle of the night, about 3, 3.30 in the morning, that was the question I was asking myself. Doesn't matter how old you are, who you are, how long you've known the Lord, that's an important question. A question that we should ask ourselves. What am I living for? And your answer to that question has the power to absolutely change your life now and for all eternity. And your answer to that question you need to know is really your choice. It is your choice what you choose to live for. God has made your life that you might shine. That we might shine bright as the stars in the heavens above. He desires that that would be true. And, and yet, we must choose to let our lives shine. That's a choice. And I really believe that that's the essence of this passage that we've just read. That Paul shares, shared with the church of Philippi and really shares with us as well. Look again at verse 27, the first part of that verse. And uh, I'm reading from the NIV version. And Paul says there, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Remember, Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell. He's hoping to return to see the Philippian church again, the church that he really birthed. But he, he doesn't know that that will happen. And he says, whatever happens, whatever happens to me or to you in any situation, in every case, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That word worthy is the word axios. And it's a word that just means to line up. It means to line up or it means to bring into balance. And Paul is saying to us, That our lives are to line up with something. They're to be brought into balance with something. And what they're to line up with and what they're to be brought into balance with is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Our lives are to be lived worthy of that gospel. Listen to how the New Century Version puts it. Only one thing concerns me. Be sure be absolutely sure that you live in a way that brings honor to the good news of Christ. That's what concerns me. That's what matters most. That's what you must be absolutely sure of, that your life lines up, that it is in balance with the good news, the gospel of Jesus. The New Living Translation puts it this way, above all, There's nothing above this. It's your highest priority. It precedes everything else. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Now, we live as citizens on earth, but we who know the Lord are to live on this earth as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. The gospel is good news. That's really what the gospel means. It simply means good news. And Paul uses the word gospel 78 times in his writings, in his letters, his epistles, that he writes to the New Testament churches and to us. It just, it's, it's throughout his writing. In fact, five times in this first chapter, we find gospel used. Two times in the four verses that we just read, Paul mentions the gospel. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, now brothers, I want to remind you. And he wants to remind us. He he said, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And for those of us who have received the gospel, the good news, and that's what the gospel is for us, it's good news in our lives. And by the way, gospel simply, the good news simply implies that there's got to be some bad news as well. And that's reality. You, you, you see that every night on the TV set as you turn on the news, or so when you pick up your paper and you read it, there's bad news. We live in a world of bad news. But that bad news is a reality for each of our own lives individually as well. And so, what is that bad news? Well, the bad news is we're all sinners. And the penalty of sin, the Bible says, is, is, is death, is separation. It's sep- to be separated ultimately physically from these, these bodies, from this earth, from relationships of those that we love. But it's also to be separated spiritually, to be separated from from God, the one who longs that we would be with him, who made us for that very reason. And that's bad news. That's bad news for everyone. But that's where the good news comes in, that when we choose to choose Jesus, when we believe in the good news, and he goes on to explain what that good news is. He says, by this gospel you are saved. That's good news. That though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we're forgiven, we're saved, we're brought into relationship with God. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And he says, for, and now he explains this good news, for I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This again is what matters most it's above everything else and what is that that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and by the way that's the old testament scriptures because the new testament really wasn't around at that point but it's prophesied in the old testament that christ would die the messiah would come he would die for our sins and he that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day again according to the scriptures the prophecies of the Old Testament. That is the good news. That Jesus Christ died, that he was buried, and that he was raised again to new life so that you and I might die to our trespasses and sins, that we might be forgiven, that we might be cleansed, that we might be made whole, that we might be given life. And the gospel is all about God's love. It's all about liberty. It's all about life, life eternal. To be raised with the resurrection power The power that raised Jesus from the dead. And for those who believe, that is good news. I'll never forget the day in my life, July 16, 1972, when I gave my life to Christ. Nobody had to convince me that I was a sinner. I had that one down. And no one had to really convince me that that sin kind of messed up your life. I had that figured out pretty well. Not only life here, but, but I guessed it probably meant life after as well. But on that day when I asked Jesus to come into my heart, everything changed. I'll never forget walking home that night and uh, it felt like every step I took, I was literally just walking on the moon. That's what it felt like. The reason, because I knew my sins had been forgiven. And the weight of the world had been lifted off of my shoulders and it was gone. And and my life has never been the same since. I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven, not because I'm a pastor, not because I'm a a good guy. I try to be. (laughs) But because God is a good God. And because of the grace that we heard about. The amazing grace of God. The gospel, the good news. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. It changes everything. In Acts 20, verse 24, Paul said this. However, I consider my life worth nothing. To me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of what, Paul? The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That was a task that Paul had been given. And you know what? That is a task that you and I have been given as well. Jesus said, go into all the earth, making disciples of all, all people. He said... Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, he told the early church, he said, you shall receive power when when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the the ends of the earth. We are his witnesses. Now, what kind of witness we are? That's the question. But we are his witnesses. That is his command and he has never rescinded that command in our lives. It's as true today as it was then. And Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing else compared to that task. Paul believed the gospel, and he calls us to to believe it. He lived for the gospel, and we are to live for the gospel. Believing in the gospel means to be living for the gospel. That's what it means To to believe in the gospel. It means to be living for the gospel. And that's what God calls us to. It governed Paul's life. It's to govern our lives. It is what you and I are here for. That's why we are here. Well, this morning, if you're taking notes and in in your outline, the key thought, the thing that I would want to leave with you, and I hope that, that more than anything else you would grab hold of is this, and it comes right really from the text. Live your life worthy of the gospel. Live your life so that it is in alignment with the gospel. Live your life so that it comes in balance with the gospel. It is a life worth living. Absolutely, truly worth living. Live your life worthy of the gospel. And Paul shares really three ways that I want us to look at briefly this morning of what it means to live our lives worthy of the gospel, this life that is worth living above any other life. And the first is this. Living worthy of the gospel is choosing to live a life of uncompromising commitment. It's choosing to live a life with no compromise. A life of commitment. A life of uncompromising commitment. Look back at verse 27, the second part of that verse. Paul writes, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, again, Paul's not sure, but he says, but whatever the case may be, I will know that you stand firm for the faith of the gospel. Now, that, that, uh, those two words, stand firm, comes from one Greek word. It's It's a a word that means, was used of a soldier standing steadfast at his post, holding his ground, defending his position, whatever the cost. And, And so it's a soldier who remains committed. He's committed to his post at all times, and nothing can cause him to abandon or to compromise his position. Absolutely nothing. He's committed. There's no compromise. And so Paul's saying to us, to live this life, this life that is aligned with the gospel, this life that is in balance with the gospel, means to live a life of uncompromising commitment. It's a life of of commitment, of total commitment, of complete commitment, a life with no compromise. And Paul said, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my presence, I will know that you stand firm uncompromising commitment. You know, when a man or a woman is committed to Jesus Christ, you can see it, you see it, you know it. It's evident in what you see, it's evident in what you hear, both in their public life and in their private life. Whether others see them or others don't see them, they're the same, they're consistent because there's no compromise. There's no compromise. And choosing to live a life of uncompromising commitment to the gospel is difficult. (laughs) Have any of you arrived there yet? Any of you made it? I don't see any hands going up, and mine's certainly not up. And Paul, Paul couldn't put his hand up. He said, I haven't arrived yet, but I press on. I press on toward the call of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And choosing to live this life of uncompromising commitment is a lifelong everyday pursuit, lifelong everyday pursuit of bringing every area of your life into consistency with this right here. Every area of your life being brought into consistency with, with the Scriptures, an uncompromising commitment to live for Him. That's what the Bible calls us to. That's Paul's message here and throughout all of his writings. That's, that's the Word of God. Old Testament and New Testament. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers or sisters, stand firm. There's that word again. And that word, by the way, Paul uses 14 times in his writings. Stand firm. Stand firm. Over and over again, it's a theme in his writings to those who are followers of Christ. Twelve times he uses in his writings, live worthy. Live worthy. It's predominant in Paul's thinking. It permeates all his life and and all that he shared with, with, with others, with us. And he says here in 2 Thessalonians, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings that I've passed on to you. Hold to them. Stand firm. To the Colossian church, Paul wrote, we pray this in order that you may, here it is again, may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. To be un- uncompromising in our commitment means that you seek, again, to align your life, to bring your life in balance with the gospel, and to live pleasing to God in every Way in every good work every day. Uncompromising commitment. And again, this thinking permeates the writings of Paul to us. Listen to Ephesians 4.1. One book before Philippians. Paul exhorts the Ephesians... And again, this is a church he wrote to while he was in prison in Rome. So he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, I beseech you, there's everything within me I'm saying, listen to me, listen to me. I urge you to what? To live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Nothing matters more. Whatever happens, this is what is important. This is what I want you to know. This is the first thing. And Paul spends the final three chapters of Ephesians really describing the ways we are to live a life worthy of the calling we have received, a life of uncompromising commitment. And Paul oftentimes wrote that way. In fact, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all about God's commitment to us. The last three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are all about our commitment to Him. First three chapters are about really doctrine, the teachings of of God's grace, and, and the last three chapters are all about our duty, the duty that we do out of that grace, which is ours. First three chapters are all about our wealth in Christ, our riches. The last three chapters are all about our walk, our walk because of the wealth that we have in Christ. I want to try something and I want to try and summarize those last three chapters where Paul again begins by by simply saying, "I, I urge you as a prisoner of the Lord to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then he moves into following that verse, chapter four, verse one, into those commitments that he says are worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so I'm going to need your help on this, all right? I want to ask you all to stand with me right now. Stand up, if you would, please. And I'm going to read the ways Paul says we are to align ourselves with the gospel. And after I read each of these ways, each one, I want you to respond back to me. And I want you to respond back in this way. I want you to to shout out, stand firm. All right, do you think you can do that? Try it with me. Stand Stand firm. firm. Oh, that was good. Let's do it again. Stand Stand firm. firm. Listen to the commitments he calls me to. Be completely humble and gentle. Stand firm. Be patient. Stand firm. Bear with one another in love. Stand firm. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Stand firm. Speak the truth in love. Stand firm. Don't be given over to sensuality. Don't indulge in any kind of impurity. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on righteousness and holiness. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully. Do not not let anger control you. Stop stealing. Do not let any any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Be imitators of God. And that's what he calls us all to. Live a life of love. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. Have nothing to do with obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Live as children of the light in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Have nothing to do with deeds of darkness. Be very careful how you live. Make the most of every opportunity. Do not get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. And we can't do these things apart from that. Submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Employees, obey your employers as you would Christ. Work wholeheartedly. Employers, treat your employees in the same way. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Stand Stand firm in truth, in righteousness, in the readiness of the gospel of peace, in faith, and in your salvation. Pray in the Spirit for all the saints. Stand firm. Pray, I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Stand firm. Whoa, you stood firm. And that took some commitment. That took some commitment. You may be seated. Uncompromising commitment is a choice, and it's a choice to bring every area of your life, we just read a few, every area of your life into alignment and consistency with God's Word. And when you choose to live a life of uncompromising commitment, you know what? Your life will shine like the stars. Pastor Rook says, I guarantee it often. And he can say that because God guarantees it. Stand firm. Live a life of uncompromising commitment. Bring your life in, in alignment, in balance with the gospel. It's a life worth living. Paul ends the great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, where he speaks of the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, and the resurrection for us, the gospel. And he says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Here's why. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is a life worth living, a life that makes all the difference, not only for you, for your family, but for those who don't yet know him. Second thing I want us to see here, living worthy of the gospel is choosing to live your life in unbroken community. Unbroken community, and that's a choice. Paul in verse 27, the, the third part of that verse says, in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. In the New American Standard Version, Paul writes, in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Have you discovered that, again, the Christian life is not easy? <laughs> in fact, it's, it's, it's absolutely impossible on your own apart from Christ and apart from one another we need him and you know what? we need one another as well that's what the church is all about the word contending or the word striving together which I, I just read comes from the Greek word soon athlio soon as a prefix it means with or together and athlio is is the, the word that we get our English word, athlete or athletics. And so it's, it's an athlete uh, striving, contending together. It's athletes on, on the same team as one, contending and striving for the prize to win. And the church is a community of believers. It's a team it's an athletic team. One spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. One spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And the church is a community of believers, and unity is essential within any community. In fact, the word unity is found in the, the word community. Without unity, there is no community. Without oneness, that togetherness, that striving, contending together, we lose. And living in unity is essential for the sake of the gospel. On the final night of his life, during the Last Supper, Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. He said, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And when you do, here's what he says, by this all men will know. What will they know? That you are my disciples if you love one another. On that same night, Jesus prayed the great high priestly prayer. And a portion of that prayer is, in fact, a major portion of that prayer is is Jesus says here. John chapter 17. My prayer is that all of them, that is the church that was to come at the birth of uh, of the church in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, after his, his ascension, he's speaking to his disciples here on the night before his, his death and his crucifixion. And he's saying it's coming. There's, I'm praying for that which is going to come. I'm praying for you disciples now. I'm praying for that church is going to come. I'm praying for the church in the year 2011. And what I'm praying is that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. Here's why. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It's essential to the gospel. It's how they know that God loves them. It's how they can see the love of Jesus. Unity is, is high on Jesus' priority list. And it's to be a high on our priority list as well. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6 says this, Make every effort. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. Peace. Why? Here's why. For there is one body, one body, and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. And God made you to belong. He made you to belong to, to Himself. He made you to belong to the Godhead, Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit, which is mentioned in in these three verses. He invites us to be a part of the Trinity. It's all about relationship, the relationship that the Godhead has with one another and the relationship that God longs that we would have with, with Him and with one another as well. And Pastor Rick says we're a family, and indeed we are. We are part of the family of God. Every week... Every weekend, Saturday night, Sunday mornings, we pray as a, as a staff uh, uh, back in the altar. And we pray for this service, but we pray for every other church in town. Pastor Rick leads in that time, and we pray for other churches meeting on Saturday night, the churches that meet on Sunday morning. We pray for them by name. We pray for their pastors by name. We belong to the family, and nothing is more important to him. Nothing is more important to him. Don't ever allow yourself to be somehow pulled away. There's an enemy of our faith who wants to do just that. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, speaking of marriage, but he was really speaking of something else because he says, he says A husband and wife are united and become one. But then he, he ends that whole section by saying, but I'm speaking of Christ and his church. God's desire is oneness. But there's an enemy who wants to separate us. That is true in our homes. That is true in the family of God. Don't allow that to be true in your life. Ephesians 4, 6, the message, everything you are, everything you think, everything you do is permeated with oneness. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, again in the message, you are Christ's body. That's who you are. This little card you received today. I didn't know that they were going to put this in there. But who am I? I am a member of Christ's body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, all of you together as Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. You are part of the body of Christ. You must never forget this, Paul says. Only as you accept your part in that body does your part mean anything. God designed us to live in community with one another. That is what the church is all about. The church matters to God, and it needs to matter to you. It needs to matter to each and every one of us. This, the, the church is not a building. The church is His body. It is the body of Christ, and you are part of the body. Don't ever forget that. Not only are you a part of the body, you have a part to play in the body. Every one of you. This little finger of mine is is a part of my body. It's not a very strong part of my body. It's not a very coordinated part of my body. In fact, if I try and move it, it, it just causes my other fingers to move as well. But it's an essential part of my body. It is designed to be there. There's a purpose for that little finger. And if somehow it were to become separated from my hand, from the rest of my body, you know what? It would have even less strength. It would be a whole lot less coordinated. In fact, you know exactly what would happen. It would only shrivel up and it would only die. And that's exactly the way it works in Christ's body. You are a part. And you have a part to play. Don't forget that. And don't allow anything to separate you from the body of Christ. Don't allow yourself to become disconnected. And you know what? Maybe some of you are disconnected. Maybe some of you listening on the internet are disconnected this morning. If you're disconnected, we can become disconnected for a lot of reasons, I suppose. But when it comes right down to it, we're disconnected because we choose to be disconnected. But you can choose to be reconnected. Don't be disconnected. Be connected. Make the choice to be connected. And we have all kinds of ways here at Big Valley for you to become connected. As Pastor Rick said earlier, it's not by looking at the back of one another's heads. His dis- discovery, on uh, coming up on uh, the second Saturday of October, if you're new to the church, boy, you can discover how you can be connected. We have men's ministries. We have women's ministries. We have small groups. We have his teams, which are, dozens and dozens of places where people have opportunity to serve in our church on teams. We have Celebrate Recovery. We have married ministries. We have seniors ministry. We have children and youth. We have uh, s- singles. We, we have, we're a large church. We're a big church. And there's, there's opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, but it's your choice. It's your choice. Choose to be, live your life in alignment Choose to live your life in balance with the gospel, the gospel that saved you, the gospel that you serve. Live for him. We are Christ's body here on earth. We are his hands, his feet, his eyes, his mouth to express the message of his love to the world. And that is why you are still here. That is why each of us is here. And the only reason we are still here, don't forget that, Don't forget that. Living worthy of the gospel is choosing to live a life of uncompromising commitment. It's choosing to live a life of unbroken community. And finally, it's choosing to live a life of unflinching courage. Unflinching courage. Listen as I read again, beginning at verse 28. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. And that by God for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. Whoa. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. You know, fear is a natural response in all of our lives. It's part of our, our DNA. It's part of our spiritual makeup. And we struggle in times of opposition. We struggle in times of suffering. We struggle, struggle in... We, uh, we, we fear in times of opposition, we fear in times of suffering, we fear in times of, of struggle. Those three words are all used in these verses we just read. And it is part of who we are, our makeup that we don't like, but it's a reality in each and every one of our lives. And as much as none of us would seek these hardships or, the, the, or suffering in our lives, they are places that often provide the greatest opportunities for our lives to shine as lights bearing testimony of the gospel of Christ. The antidote to fear is faith in Christ. The antithesis of fear is faith. It's faith. And courage is not the absence of fear. It is the result of trusting God. Trust in God who conquers every fear. Trust in God. It conquers and defeats every fear in our lives. You know, I mentioned to you that that Pastor Rick is, is gonna be going to this conference where he'll be speaking to pastors. And again, I'm convinced that he is God's man for the job. He is a man who leads fearlessly. He is a man who trusts in God. He is a man of uncompromising commitment He is a man who is committed to the community of believers. And he he has something to share with those pastors and their wives. He does. Because he shares it with us all the time. You've heard it. Every every week I hear it. Our staff hears it. We know it. It is who he is. He is a a man of, of... unflinching courage because he is a man of great trust and faith. And Paul describes two ways that we must trust so that our, our fears might be defeated in our lives. He says, first of all, God is ultimately will ultimately bring you through any and every difficulty. He says, you will be saved. You'll be saved. You'll be delivered. I will see you through. Doesn't matter what it is. Whatever the opposition, whatever the suffering, whatever the struggle... I will save you. I will deliver you. I will see you through. The second way we trust, we're to trust, Paul says here in the verses we read, God is working in your life through whatever whatever that difficulty is, whatever the life difficulty, I am at work, God says. Where does he say that? He says this here. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. How does that say it? The word granted is the word grace. It is by God's grace that you're saved. But he says it's also by God's grace that we can suffer. And just as God is involved in our salvation, he is just, as in, just involved in our suffering. Salvation is by grace. Suffering is by grace. Both are a work of God's grace. Why? That the gospel might live in us and the gospel might live through us. And that others might see, wow, there is something different. In whatever the opposition, in whatever the suffering, in whatever the struggle. Peter put it this way, and Peter's, 1 Peter is all about suffering. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 13, again in the message. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. That somehow he's left. He's forgotten me. Instead, be glad. Be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Hang in there. Don't give up. Trusting God in the midst of opposition, suffering, or struggle is what overcomes fear and causes your life to be a light that shines in the darkness. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 112, he will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast. Trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. And in the end, he will look in triumph on his foes, whatever those foes may be. Where do you need to trust today? Where do you need to believe today? There's a God who will save you. There's a God who will deliver you. There's a God who is at work in your life or in the lives of others, in whatever that situation is. Paul ends the book of Corinthians with these words. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men. Be women of courage. Be strong. Don't give up. God is with you. God is with you. He will see you through. What are you living for today? Live your life. Align it. Make sure it's in balance with the gospel. May your life be worthy of the gospel. May my life be worthy of the gospel. May we choose to live committed. May we choose to live connected. May we choose to live courageous. And you can be sure that in those choices, your life will shine like the stars for all to see. There is no greater life no greater life worth living.